5.1 Group Membership and Boundary Maintenance Rules As discussed in Section 3, arenas may have more or less porous borders, making it easier or more difficult for individuals to enter or exit the community. Boundary maintenance rules also establish how an individual should act in order to demonstrate allegiance to the community. This can be over appearance, the side curls of Hasidic Jewish men, the distinctive blue dresses and white bonnets of Amish women, or over actions, such as prohibitions against publicly airing views that oppose the group's tenets. Rules governing group membership and boundary maintenance not only help to establish and signify membership in the group, but also influence a wide range of engagement and outcomes, from electoral competition and representation to citizenship and policymaking. Where boundaries are relatively closed, competition and participation take on new meaning. Campaign events become theaters for reinforcing community solidarity. People attend rallies because they want to show their support for and strengthen ties with the candidate and community. Many are family, friends, neighbors, or co-congregationalists. Events are technically public, but they border on exclusivity. This is particularly true in constituencies with competing, tightly-knit communities. In a campaign study I conducted during the 2010 Jordanian elections, for instance, one researcher was asked to leave a campaign tent because he was from another local family and thus suspected of being a spy. The candidate and his entourage did not believe the event could be used to sway the man's vote. Similarly, surveys of individuals attending the Jordanian and Egyptian 2010 campaigns found that a large percentage of respondents saw the campaign events as closed. Even in Tunisia's 2011 campaign, which took place after the fall of Ben Ali and when public mobilization was especially high, 14% of campaign attendees we surveyed viewed campaign events as exclusive. In such cases, the locus of competition shifts to the nomination stage, much as it does in one-party states. Tribes, families, and religious congregations choose candidates. At times, they institute rules such as rotation of candidates across clans or families to reduce the potential for internal conflict, or even establish tribal primaries which are sometimes as formalized and hotly contested as general elections. Overall, the intention is to appear as a unified bloc, signaling to candidates outside the group that they are unlikely to succeed in garnering their votes. A similar example is found in Libya. In 2012, a General National Congress member described to me how rules aimed at maintaining the appearance of group coherence or group boundary maintenance associated with the tribal arena impacted elections. His small tribe had formed a coalition with two other tribes to run for a proportional representation or PRC in his district. They chose their coalition strategy by counting heads of the different tribes, and they organized their campaign at weddings, a space in which their gatherings would be isolated from and go undetected by larger tribes that may have tried to undermine their efforts. Importantly, they knew that not every tribal member would support the selected candidate, but they nonetheless sought to maintain the appearance of cohesion. Fellow members could choose to not vote for their candidate, but to voice this intention publicly, and especially in favor of the candidate from another tribe, was unacceptable. Such restrictions not only affect the outcome of elections, but also the expectations of other voters and competitiveness of campaigns. When no one stands up in dissent, it is easier to believe that everyone is united behind the candidate. Boundary rules also play a role in the integration of refugees. Take, for instance, Jordanians' responses to refugees fleeing the Syrian civil war. 
In some cases, they treated refugees as outsiders whose presence they resented, but elsewhere, they admitted them into the community. In part, this was because boundary rules of tribal arenas of authority already designated them as part of the in-group. For instance, members of the Bani Khalid tribe, which spans Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria, were welcomed and accepted into the Jordanian community because they carried the same tribal name. They were integrated, at least in part, because they entered the community as a member of the same tribal arena, one that transcended state borders. Boundary rules governing social arenas of authority affect relations with the state as well. Lauren McLean shows how group boundary rules of the Akan in Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire shaped individuals' relationships with the state. In Ghana, boundary rules designated a wider range of individuals as community members, but the rules governing members' commitments only required low levels of mutual support. In contrast, in Côte d'Ivoire, boundary rules restricted community entry to a close circle of family members, but required they provide each other with a higher level of assistance. She argues that this had important implications for how individuals engaged with the state. Ghanaians had a much closer relationship with the state, viewed local officials as key actors, and saw engagement with the state in terms of civic duty, while Ivoirians understood the state to be a remote entity and any interaction with it as the reserve of big men. Finally, studies of mobilization around AIDS issues also demonstrate the importance of group boundaries on political engagement and policymaking. Kathy Cohen's study of the African-American community's response to AIDS found that the community initially viewed the epidemic as one afflicting gay, white men and, for some in the community, God's punishment for sinful activity. Consequently, the leadership shied away from pressing for responsive policies. Similarly, Evan Lieberman's study of AIDS policies in Africa found that where group boundaries are strong, i.e. less porous, there was less support for broad policy responses to the epidemic. Where the disease came to be associated with certain groups, as in South Africa, where whites saw it as a black disease, while blacks perceived it as a white disease, the policy discussion was one of blame and stigmatization with little support for broad-based policies. In short, Boundary rules influence individuals' behavior and, ultimately, policymaking and development outcomes. The extant literature suggests some hypotheses that require further investigation. Stronger, less porous boundaries appear linked to more encompassing prescriptions on the behaviors of members, the appearance of less competition, and more difficulty for elites in other arenas to try to mobilize members across boundaries. This can have implications for policymaking and implementation when issues are associated with certain communities. Where there are less porous boundaries, in-group members may express greater support for policy responses, but they may be less willing and able to reach across boundaries to other communities and thus to gain their support.